that tonight. Tonight we're going to be looking at the tabernacle in the wilderness. Why in the world did the Israelites have a tabernacle? And what is it about it that it's significant for us today as Christians? But this morning I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning and we're looking, we'll start in verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we'll start in verse 5. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always Delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. And having the same spirit of faith, according to as is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up Jesus Christ shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. Father, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the power we have through Christ Jesus, through his spirit. Thank you for the, the word of God, which is preserved for us. Thank you, God, for its power in our life. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, that we can go to it as an invaluable, constant resource for comfort, for instruction, for help, uh, for rebuke for encouragement. Lord, we need you, and we need your word. And I pray, Lord, today as we look to your word that you'd give us help, you'd show us hope in a world that is dark and will continue to get darker until the Prince of Peace comes. Oh, God, may we look to you and to your word for our hope and help in the time of need. And I pray you bless this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, we've been looking at the life of Paul, the apostle for the last several weeks. And I guess we could say, you know, after looking at his life as a spiritual parent, as a preacher, as a, as a presenter of the gospel, as a church planter, uh, as someone who was persecuted, if we could say anything about the Apostle Paul, we could say he's persistent. He's persistent. I love folks who are persistent. I love folks who are faithful. I love it when I come to church on Sunday morning and I see the same faces that show up. They're there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they're faithful. The Bible says about, about, about Christians that, that it's, it's required in a steward, someone who has a position of management, a person who's responsible, that they're required to be not knowledgeable, not talented, not gifted, not financially stable, but faithful. The one number one quality that each one of us can have doesn't make a difference what position of life, what side of the tracks you came from. 
where you had a bad family, a good family, you're poor, rich, have, don't have, you can choose and I can choose to be faithful. And God loves faithful servants. And if Paul was anything, he was persistent. And that's why he was used in a great way. Because, dear friend, if you can't be faithful, you really can't be used at all. You have to be. I have to be faithful. But in the midst of being persistent, in the midst of being faithful, there's going to be times where discouragement's going to come, right? We see it here in these, in these verses as Paul is writing this second letter to the church of Corinth. He says here in verse 8, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. Perplexed. And I started thinking about that word perplexed. And it actually means feeling like there's no way out. There's no hope. There's no help. You ever been there? You got to the place in life where you just got down? I'm not talking about maybe just having a bad day because we all have bad days, but you feel like you just don't want to have to do anything. You don't have any energy. You don't have any strength. You're discouraged. Maybe you don't even want to get out of bed. You think about getting out of bed. You don't even want to get out of bed. You think about the list of responsibilities you have, and you think, if I do them, I will probably fail at every one of them. I mean, you just get down in the dumps. You get depressed. You get defeated. So we see Paul, the persistent. But I want to talk about, for the most part of the message, how to get back up after you've fallen down. Because there's no doubt in, in my mind, every one of us in this room is going to fall down. You're going to fall down. The question is not you're going to, if you're going to fall down. Oh, you're going to fall down. The question is, are you going to get back up? Because everybody falls down. The question is, are you going to get back up? How did Paul stay persistent through the problems of depression, the problem of depression? Well, first of all, I want to say it is a common problem. It is a common problem. Turn, if you would, if you would, to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 this morning. We were here in 2nd Corinthians, but I want us to look at Psalm 42. First of all, what we know about depression, it is a common problem. Psalm 42 Take your Bibles if you would, or you can just listen. Look at Psalm 42 in verse 1. This is a Psalm of David to the chief musician, Miskel. Psalm 42, verse 1. For the sons of Korah, as a heart panteth at the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. You see his thirst. O my soul thirsted for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat. Day and night, where they continually say to me, where is thy God? Where well, I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with multitude that kept holiday. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I yet shall praise him for the help of his countenance. Verse 6, Oh my God, my soul was cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and the Hermonites, from the hill Mazar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts. All the waves and all the billows are gone over me. 
Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in daytime. In the night his song shall be with me. My prayer unto God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I a mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a sword in my bones and my enemies reproach me while they say daily to me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my soul and, and my God. You say, preacher, who is this? This is David. David the king. David the man that slew the giant. This was David who was called the man after God's own he got to the place where he was cast down. He got to the place where he was crying out to God, Have you forsaken me? Have you forgotten me? You ever been there? Now, if you're honest this morning, you may not say it with an amen, but you'll groan it with an oh me. Because if you've lived the Christian life, there's been times in life where you've lifted your voice up to God and you've thought to yourself, Where are you, God? When you've gone through trouble, when you've gone through difficulty, when you've gone through pain, when you've gone through problems, and it seems like they're all around you, you look up and say, God, where are you? Where are you? This wasn't just true of David. It was true of Elijah. Remember Elijah when he got up there on Mount Carmel and did that great miracle where over 450 of the servants of Baal were destroyed? Remember the, the, they put the water they, they tried to make sacrifice to these and, and, and cause the fire to fall. And there was a contest on Mount Carmel and, and the fire didn't fall even though these prophets of Baal cut themselves and yelled and screamed and did all the crazy stuff. But the fire didn't fall and, the, and Elijah put the water on the sacrifice, called on God, prayed, and the fire fell. And a great miracle happened there on Mount Carmel. The day after, afterward, Jezebel said, basically... I'm going to take your life. Your life is over. And even though after this great miracle, this wicked painted-faced woman said just a few words. And what did Elijah do? Well, I'm going to defeat you. No, he ran. And it is a case typically after a great victory that we're tempted to flee and fail utterly. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He, he fled from the face of God, from the will of God, he went into the wilderness and he prayed this prayer. He said, but he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down on a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. Elijah! Elijah! Who's seen the fire fall and prophets of Baal destroyed. Now, the next day, thinks about dying. He says, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Think about Jonah. Jonah saw the greatest revival, as far as we know, in the history of the world. He walked through the city of Nineveh, preached just a few words, just a few words. Some of you would probably say, preacher, I wish you'd just preach a few words and I'd be done too. And preach just a few words and a great revival from the top, from the king to the greatest to the least. Thousands were saved. Thousands repented of their sin. But what did Jonah say after that? 
In Jonah chapter 4 and verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, I take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. David, Elijah, Jonah, Jesus. Jesus. You say Jesus was discouraged? Oh, yes. Two of his closest friends were named Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 33, when, the new, when he heard about the news about Lazarus, when Jesus therefore saw the weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came after her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said, and they said Lord, come and see. The two most powerful and shortest words in the, in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus, the Son of Man, Jesus, the Savior of all men, got to the place where he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he wept. The greatest preacher, humanly speaking, that's ever lived was a man by called named Charles H. Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He wrote, we have our times of natural sadness. We have, too, our times of depression. When we cannot do otherwise but hang our heads. Seasons of lethargy will also befall us from the changes in our natural frame or from weariness or the rebound over, from overexcitement. The trees are not always green. The sap sleeps in them in the winter, and we have winters too. Life cannot always be a flood tide. The fullness of the blessings is not upon the most gracious at all times. There's times in life of deep trouble and of sorrow and of sadness. Sometimes they come on us like a storm. Six years ago today, six years ago today, my wife, my two kids, and two cats were huddled in a closet in my house as a hundred mile an hour winds came over our house in Fort Myers, Florida. Hurricane Irma hit. I had no idea where I'd survive that storm. All I knew was I was trusting God, did the best I could, put all the shutters up, prepared our house, put it on as cold as long as I could because I knew that I'd lose our power, and we did for many days. But I just stayed in that closet for six hours with four humans and two cats, praying. Asking God, begging God for survival. And by the grace of God, we did. Though others lost their house, lost their homes, lost their lives. Storms happen in life, and you don't know how severe they are. It's a strange thing about a storm. Sometimes a storm will hit three or four different houses in a row, and the next house will be perfectly safe. So it is in a life. You'll see people who go through sickness or depression or discouragement and problems over and over, almost like their life is a soap opera. And then you see other people who seem to be unscathed in every circumstance or situation in life. We're different. Every one of us has troubles. Every one of us has problems. So the problem is common. The problem has a cause. What is the problem? cause. What is the cause? Well, first of all, the problem is because of sin. All the problems that we have today, the primary reason of them is not government. 
I know you want to say government. I know you want to say, well, it's a society. No, the number one problem in the world today is sin. The reason why we struggle in this world is sin. You see, the reason why David was crying out in his life for the problems that he had, and he had many problems. He had a son like, named Absalom who rebelled against him. He had a daughter like named Tamar who was raped. He had another son named Ammon who was killed. The problem in David's life was because of, in this situation, because of his sin. Remember? He was on the top, the rooftop, when he should have been at battle with the other men. It was a time where, where the men went out for war. He sat back at his palace and he looked out and saw a woman bathing by the name of Bathsheba. And he took her and had a relationship with her and lied about it and had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed. A lot of times in life, the reasons why we go through depression and struggle is because of our own sin. Elijah had a self-focus. He was consumed with himself, he, yet he, he had turned his eyes off of God who did so many wondrous things in his life, but now he's focused and consumed with issues in his life. He says in verse 10 of 1 of Kings chapter 19, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have I forsaken thy covenant, thrown down my thou altars, slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Notice the number of personal pronouns. I, my, me. What happens oftentimes in life, folks, when we get co-consumed with ourselves, we have our own pity party. You know how many people are in the pity party? One person. And it's always a bad thing when we have a pity party. Sometimes it's because of sin, because we choose to make bad decisions. Sometimes we get our focus off God and get them on ourselves. Sometimes we have wrong expectations of God, like Jonah. Jonah thought he, these people, the Ninevites, who were so hateful to Israel, he thought to himself, well, if I go and preach to them, you know, they'll get saved. And he didn't like the fact that they all got saved. He was hoping maybe in his heart that God would judge them. So he sat underneath a juniper tree, and God created a gourd, on one day, and the next day, that gore died. And God didn't meet Jonah's expectations. And the Bible says of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, God, the words of God, Should not I spare Nineveh, Nineveh, the great city, wherein are more than six score thousands persons that cannot discern between right hand and their left? And so much cattle? Jonah was so much concerned about how he felt and what he thought and the injustices that were done to him that he didn't even care about these thousands of Ninevites who had a soul. Sometimes, folks, the reason why we're depressed is because of our own sin. Sometimes because of Satan. Of course, we know that Eve was deceived by Satan in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. We know that David, the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1, that David was was tempted of Satan. The Bible says Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. We know about Job. Job, the Bible says in Job chapter 1 and verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan came up also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered and said, From going to to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth 
or departeth evil. Sometimes we're tempted by Satan to sin, to be depressed, to get discouraged, to want to quit. Joshua the high priest in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1 we read, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuked thee. It is, not, it is not a brand plucked out of the fire. Jesus himself was tempted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness by Satan. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, When Jesus was lit up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was after a hungered. And of course, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, he said, always bearing about the body of the dying of the Lord, that while life of also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Sickness sometimes can be the cause. Yes, sin sometimes. Sometimes self. Sometimes Satan. Sometimes sickness. There's many sicknesses. I read about this week, persistent depressive disorder. Continuous, long-term, chronic state of low-level depressive, depressed mood. Postpartum depression, characterized by feelings of sadness, indifference, exhaustion, anxiety that women may experience after the birth of a baby. Bipolar disorder. Having mood swings involve both lows and highs. Seasonal, affectional disorder or sad. Typical starts in late fall and early winter and dissipates during the spring and summer. For many, many years, the church said, no, this was a spiritual problem or satanic problem. And overlooked the, the different, sometimes it's just a sickness. And there's almost a stigma where we would go to the doctor if we've had a fever or we had a cold or, or some other problem. But to go to a doctor about depression, sometimes it's almost feel like a stigma against that. But dear friend, if there's a need, there's, there, there's people out there who will help meet that need. Why would we not want to get help if we're struggling? Why would we not want to get help? But you know, it's something about our pride that, doesn't, that says to ourselves, I don't want to get help. I remember, my wife's not here, she's helping out in the back. I remember I was in college and uh, busy, busier, <laughs> busier than I am now. My years in college were, I was working a job. I was an assistant pastor in church. I was going to school. I had a house, had a wife, had a couple dogs. I was too crazy, too busy. My wife, I, I got sick, and my wife kept on me for weeks. You're, you're, you need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the doctor. I think you're sick. I, I think you're sick. I said, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I went to the doctor. You know what the doctor said? You're sick. Surprise. You're sick. You got, you got pneumonia in the lung. You got to take it taken care of. What was it? It was my pride. I remember another time I got a sore throat day after day after day. Every year I get a sore throat four, three or four times. And what do they tell you? When you get sore throat, you do what? Gargle with warm or as much as you can stand salt water. I heard that all my whole life. Gargle with warm salty water. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. Went to the doctor. I said, doctor, I got a sore throat. He says, you know what? Get some hot water, put some salt in it, and gargle. I knew it. I just didn't want to hear it. And dear friends, the same thing with us, isn't it? We know better. We just don't want to do better. We don't want to seek out help, even though we need help. 
The problem is common. The problem has a cause. But thirdly, as we close this morning, the problem has a cure. First of all, you have to recognize you have a problem. It's like me. I had to recognize I had a problem. If everybody around you, your wife, your friends, your boss, your kids, are telling you you have a problem, would you listen and come to the place and admit, I have a problem? You see, till you come to the place and recognize you have a problem, there's no, there's no cure for you. Now, you know what we typically say when we have a problem? Number one, we say, why, that's just the way I am. Secondly, we say, oh, my parents, my parents are that way, and so I'm the same way. Or thirdly, we say, nobody really cares. What's the point? And, thirdly, fourth, and finally, we'll say, well, if I go and get help, people think I'm crazy. If I go and get help, people think I'm sick. Yeah, because you are sick. And that's how you change, by admitting there's a problem. Secondly, not only realize you have the problem, you have to replace your thinking. I call it replace stinking thinking with scriptures. A lot of times, you know what the biggest problem is? It's not here. It's here. It's our way of thinking. Remember in Psalm 42, verse 11, David said, Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou quieted within me? You know what he began? He began asking himself some questions. Why am I cast down? Why am I discouraged? And when you're depressed, when you're defeated, when you want to give up, then's the time, then is the time to ask yourself some hard questions. Why am I in this state? And secondly, to answer yourself, hope thou in God. Aren't you glad he didn't say, uh, go trust in my friend? No. Hope thou in other people? No. There's no hope in that. The only hope you have in this life, dear friend, is in God. He said, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. So what did he do? He, turned, he started with a, a question. He recognized his only help. He and then he started to praise God. So he had a problem, which was himself. He changed his attitude about it when he recognized what it was, and he began to praise him. And he says, and what was the result of that? He recognized that God was the health of my countenance and my God. He changed his thinking about the problem. The Bible says in Psalm 121, verse 1, I will lift up my eyes into the hills which cometh my help, my help cometh from the Lord which made the heaven and earth. He will not suffer my foot, thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. So first of all, recognize you have a problem. Secondly, change your stinking thinking and replace it with scriptures. Third, recognize that you can't change the past. You can't change the past. A lot of times, we often we find ourselves tripping ourselves up because we look too often at our past. Instead of focusing on the future, we're consumed with what happened yesterday. Think about Paul the Apostle. He was there and held the coach, as we talked about. He gave permission for Stephen to be martyred, to be killed when he was stoned to death. And he could have been consumed with the fact that, oh, I, I was there when Stephen was stoned. I was there when these Christians were persecuted. I did this and I did that. He could have been focused on that, and Satan would have had a heyday in his mind if he had allowed him. And so he would be with you. Oh, remember that time when you were? How about when you did? Oh, you're reading the Bible, but I know what you watched that last night. Oh, I know what you said. Oh, I know what you did. Those thoughts come in your mind. 
Well, you know what Paul did? Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it. He said, I ain't got all figured out. I've not arrived. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. My friends, don't let yesterday's problems destroy tomorrow's potential. Don't let yesterday's problems destroy tomorrow's potential. Fourth, refocus your eyes on helping others. You know what the best thing to do? One of the best things to do after you recognize the problem, after you get away from your stinking thinking, if you recognize you can't change the past, is refocus your eyes on helping other people. Because sometimes we get consumed with our own problems. You know what you start doing? Start helping other people who have bigger problems. You're not the only person in the whole world that has problems. If you get your eyes off yourself, if you'll quit being consumed with you and just look up and see needs all around you. There's many needs just in this room and outside this room. There's people, there's problems. Oh, I looked in the faces of thousands of students yesterday whose face screamed, I need God. And their only hope is right here. It's right here. That's their only hope. Their hope's not going to be in a better job. Their hope's not going to be in a better husband. Their hope's not going to be in an education. Their hope's not going to be medicinal. It's not, it's not going to be the only hope. This was their only hope. Thank God we were able to give out 5,000 of those yesterday to kids who have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. But turn your eyes and see people who have need. You know what God said to, to Elijah when he was depressed and really to give, give up and quit? 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15, the Lord said to him, he, said, he didn't say just go quit, go give up, stop doing what you're doing. He said go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shabbat of Abimelech, shalt thou anoint to be prophet over the room. I mean, this is a man who just said, basically, I'm ready to die. You know what the Lord said? Get your eyes off yourself, Elijah, and go get busy helping other people. You know what that dear friend, that will save you thousands of dollars and lots of prescriptions. If you'll just get your eyes off yourself and start helping other people. Because they have bigger needs than you can even imagine. What do I do when I start getting sad and start getting a pity party in my room? I start getting the directory, start calling people at the church. How you doing today? And how you doing today? And how you doing today? And before long, someone will say, Preacher, oh, I need this and I'm struggling with that. And I realize my problems are like this and their problems are like that. And I start helping them and I change my perspective. You say the problem's changed? No, the problem's still there. But my perspective has changed. And the problem is different. And fifth, letter E, rest in the promises of God. Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And there in verse 16, if you want to. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. How did Paul end up this passage of scripture? Did he say, well, you know, we're going through these problems. We have difficulties. We have problems. We just give up. No, he says in chapters, chap, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward body perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. And he has to respond to these persecutions. How does he respond to these perplexities? He realizes they're Per, he has a right perspective about them. In verse 17, he says, For our light affliction. 
being stoned, light affliction. Being troubled, being perplexed, getting to the place where you feel like you have no hope. What does Paul say? It's a light affliction. It's a light affliction, which is why? Because it's only for a moment. Dear friend, no matter what you go through, compared to all eternity, it's just a moment. It's just a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and great eternal weight. For we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He said, instead of focusing on the problems and the pain right now, realizing in the light of eternity, it's small and what we have in front of us, which we cannot see, is so much bigger. And not only that, it's so much better. Don't be consumed with what you have, with the problems now, but of the promises in the future. You say, preacher, can you give me some promises this morning? I need some promises. Well, listen to John in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God with men. And he shall dwell with them and shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and shall be their God. God promises his presence eternal with us. We're going to dwell with God forever. Man, I got to get sleep. Somebody say amen. So we're going to be with God forever. I mean, dear friend, that's better than the Gators winning yesterday, all right? <laughs> we need some more amens than that. <laughs> Listen to this, not only, not only are we going to dwell with God, look at what it says in verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There's going to be a common place, folks, we'll never cry again. We'll never weep. You'll never wake up in the morning again when your pillow was wet from your tears, from sobbing about your pain or the problem or people around you. There'll be no more tears in our eyes and there shall be more, no more death. No more funerals. And there shall neither, shall neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. No more pain. No more waking up with a headache. No more waking up with an eye ache or with glasses or with contacts. No more waking up being bald and having to put some on my head because my head gets cold at night. And that thing comes off every time I have to find it and put it back on about 25 times a night. No more of that. No more joint pain. No more doctors. No more dentists. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got to go back Wednesday. Thank you, Jesus. No more dentists. No more cell phones going off during the middle of church service. No more church. No more. No more devil. No more disease. No more wickedness or wicked people. No more problems. No more pain. No more pain. For the former things shall be passed away. No more memories of the failures of life. We will dwell with a perfect God and we will be perfect people forever. And ever, and ever. Hallelujah, amen. Oh, dear friend, your best days are not these days. They're coming days. So lift up your eyes and do not be consumed with your pain, your problems, your past. But think about the promises of God 
before you. As the old song says, Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes off yourself, off your situation, and look in the face of Jesus Christ who died for all your sin. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you there's hope. Thank you there's help. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you're there for us. Thank you that you have not forsaken us. Thank you, God, that we can know you through your son, Jesus Christ. And as we're here on this Sunday morning, my prayer is that everyone in this room knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And maybe you're here and say, Preacher, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I know about Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. If you were to die the day, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Oh, friend, you can walk, in this, walk into this church on your way to hell, but you can walk out of this church on your way to heaven. Say, how, preacher? By first recognizing you have a problem. Heard that before, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Our problem is sin. Because of our sin, we can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. There's no physician that can fix us. There's no religion that can fix us. There's no work that we can do. There's no church we can join. There's no religious act that we can perform that will save us. It's only through one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. For he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Dear friend, you can't save you, but Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood paying for your sin. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved today. Or maybe you're here as a saint and you say, I know Jesus, but I'm struggling with myself. I'm struggling with my life, myself. I seem to get depressed. I get discouraged. I go through so much difficulty. I'm going through so many problems. I really just oftentimes just get consumed with it, but I'm not asking for help. Maybe you gave some of the excuses that I just mentioned. There's no hope. There's no help. Nobody cares. I'm just that way. My family's that way. I'll always be this way. Oh, dear friend, I, I beg you today. I plead with you. Get help. Ask God to help you first. Do those things which I mentioned. Recognize your need. Replace your thinking. Refocus your eyes on helping other people. Do those things, dear friend. Take this message serious as is God speaking to you directly.